Welcome to Talking Out Your Arts with Shock Therapy. I'm Hayden. And I'm Sam. And this is a podcast highlighting how art and creativity exists in our world, from the known to the many unexpected and often unappreciated places. We talk with leaders in their fields, from festival directors to athletes, politicians and more, exploring their practice and how it shapes the world we live in. G'day and welcome to another episode of Talking Out Your Arts. I'm Hayden. And I'm Sam. And uh, this week we have a very, very special guest joining us. Uh, 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 it's, I'd say it's a little bit of a different episode to last week's episode, if you um, if you did, or last, last, last episode. episode. Yeah, the, the Gang of Pigs. Yeah, slightly different tone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really great to get this guest on, um, Glenn Barry. His name and um, is a proud uh, Gumaroi man, and um, just a, a, a fascinating human being that has just lived such a full life. Um, and and I'm I'm curious to see what what other adventures and stories uh, he lives throughout oh. the, the rest of his uh, many many years to go forward. But it's not an understatement it, to refer to him as a survivor in the in the truest sense of the word. He's yeah. literally dodged death. Uh, no, a number of times, which he talks about uh, briefly in the in the podcast, and yeah, um, and, and fascinating and that those experiences uh, have like uh, that he's I guess crashed into have have actually, in a really fascinating way, guided him to really find himself and who he is and find his philosophy, his own life philosophy. Yeah, and influence what he does. So you know, he as he goes into, he's a he's an artist in many forms and has been an artist in many forms over the course of his life from surfer to chef to martial artist to visual artist painter sculpture to uh musician and um it's really interesting how he talks about how culture influences that his own personal story and culture and obviously say he's a gumaro man but uh, lived and grew up here on the gold coast and mm. has, has been based here on the gold coast um most of his life um having little spurts where he traveled and lived overseas for many years as well and um, just a fascinating, fascinating, eclectic life, and and as we kind of as will become apparent to you, the listener, he's a he's a powerful man and a and a, a beautiful man, and um, it's really an honour to to know him and to be able to call him a friend and for him to give us his time to come and chat with us. It was um, it absolutely, was awesome. and he's and he's a guest that you could have on, like we were just talking about. You you could literally have him on five or ten times. And uh, yep. dig into ev- any one of those avenues of his That's life. Right. You know, there's things that sort of get touched on, and and the conversation does j- it jumps around a bit. But that's the nature of it when when yep. there's somebody who um, is offering up so many interesting lines of conversation. Totally, and and yeah, go go with stick with it, and um, and yeah, maybe in in future episodes we'll get Glenn back on and and dig into some of those things that we touch on very briefly in this episode. But we hope that you find it interesting. If this is your first episode. Um, You've landed on a on a ripper. Um, if uh, you can you can just crack right in here and, and start here and listen. If this is your first time joining us on talking out your arts, or go back and listen to some other episodes. Mm. There's lots of other interesting episodes there. Um, you know, we didn't really start this podcast in a linear sense. Like you don't have to listen from the start. Start not Pro- at all. Probably if you did though, you'd realize we. I think we're getting a bit better at like. Not, not the guests aren't necessarily getting better or worse, but in terms of our um, 
interview skills maybe yeah, perhaps, perhaps perhaps depends on know. depends on the day you know and and uh and then we had that sort of anomaly episode last episode that was completely quite absurd and and off the cuff and that what was you talk- absurd what are you, you talking know about? and 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 i think we'll do <laughs> i think we'll do more of those episodes and and sprinkle them in in the mix going forward because okay. you know people that know us they they want a bit of our well, our silly banter give us some feedback too it's a good point you raise yeah. because you know we're here actual actual feedback not the fictional no, it yeah. wasn't fictional, I'm kidding. No. Of course, that was completely actually, real. Yeah. Actually give us, um, yeah, give. it'd be interesting to hear what you want to hear more of. And I know I've said this in the past, like if you if you are enjoying this podcast, if you are listening to it, if there's sort of things that, themes or or areas that you're kind of, you know, interested for us to go and dive into, um, drop us a line, let us know, hit us up on Instagram, um, or, or Facebook or wherever you can find us or via our website, shocktherapyproductions.com.au. That's it. Hand, um, handball us a suggestion, you know. We're trying to look at art and creativity through as many different angles as possible and sort of this idea that it, creativity is not somehow this separate activity that you go and do outside of life. It's actually it's woven into the fabric of the everyday and yep. we, just need to, uh, we just need to draw it out, you know. And, and, and like life, some episodes are funny and absurd and entertaining and others are serious and mm. spiritual and heartfelt and moving. Yeah. Um, so this is one of those episodes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we like to be able to provide all of the flavours. One-stop podcast yep. shop. Yeah. We don't want to pigeonhole ourselves. There's yep. no fun in that. So yep. so check it out. The price is really good. It costs you $0 it to listen zero to the podcast. You can support us via Patreon if you want. I don't know if we've got any patrons yet, but if we do, thank you to the patrons that we may or may not have yep. um but the, honestly the best way that you can support this is by listening to it and sharing it and telling your friends and and uh podcast recommendations is the best way for, especially for small independent podcasts like this to get out into the world is anytime someone's on facebook going hey who's got a good recommendation for a podcast give us a give us a shout out give yep. us a give us a talking out your out shout out so um yeah chuck it on in the car chuck it on in the car um well, without further ado, uh, we would like to introduce the one, the only, Glenn Barry. Glenn Barry, thank you for joining us on Talking Out Your Arts. Um, mate, it is always a, uh, a privilege and an honour and a great time chatting to you in any circumstance, but... Um, particularly in this context coming on and uh, giving us your time today to share your story, not just with us, but with the uh, our broader... The millions of listeners that we have. Yeah. 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 Yes, so on. That we can count on one hand. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, no, nah, thanks for joining us, mate. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really awesome that you've been able to come along and chat with us today. And um, I guess maybe a good place to start would be, well, maybe we should say how we know Glenn. Mm-hmm. Well, my first recollection of, of when we met Glenn, we were uh, doing a production at the Gold Coast Arts Centre, mm. as it was called back then, um, a youth theatre project, and we're doing a play called Flood. I guess in a in a in a very broad, brief sense, the the, the premise of the, of Flood is about a, a a group of young middle class white kids that go on a on a camping trip to celebrate their year twelve graduation and. Uh, they're out on country and they uh, encounter uh, an elder and through their own, I guess, uh, unconscious prejudices, they end up 
uh, in a confrontation with this elder and they and they kill they kill him um, and dispose of the body and return back to civilization and their their uh, dirty secret kind of comes back to them um, and I guess in the course of of mounting that production we felt that we uh, it was necessary and appropriate for us to have I guess a, a sort of a cultural advisor um, and uh, and we were recommended Glenn and that's how we met and Glenn ended up actually ended up being in the production and, and we, we had this idea to sort of have music in the show and and your role in that became uh, uh, very very pivotal and um, was a very uh, was a very sort of um, powerful energy to have in the room and a presence and I th- and uh, and it ended up really um, bringing uh, everybody together and something I felt really special about that process and the whole pre-show ritual and yeah. and everything that you would do and, and brought to that production. So yeah, that's that's um, sort of how we first connected. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember how we got put in touch? I was trying to remember yeah, how yeah, that happened, uh, but possibly Joe Androsen. Ah. Uh, maybe. Actually, I think you might be right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And that was, um, you know, it was kind of one of those things that when we when we met and started chatting, there, there was a lot of common links and a lot of um, people that we knew, both on the Gold Coast and, and broadly and, and common interests. And, and I, kind of, I guess it kind of grew from there and, and that process. Um, I know you've, you've sort of shared with us uh, previously that, that that project was a kind of a bit of a turning point for you in terms of your uh, artistic journey perhaps or, mm. or particularly with music and, mm. and stuff like that and um, mm. but it, yeah it was yeah I know we've said this to you before but it, it was a really significant meaningful um, not just part of that production I think for the cast and what it added to them but for us personally I think it was it, it gave the whole production something and a whole other layer and then on a personal level just to be able to hang out and get to know you better it was um, it was a great time and we've been mates ever since so yeah both ways yeah yeah um so maybe give us a little bit of a rundown of like what you how do you how do you these days how do you view yourself um as a as an artist or or, or how would you describe what you what you do these days mm. yeah it's like coming back to that um that conversation of the flood and where i'm at now um i guess like even my name my dad is irish um, so in Ireland, they say Glen is the valley. So there's two sides. Um, and so for me, being the bridge of those two sides, my, my uh, I guess, uh, Gomeroy family, uh, Indigenous family, and my Irish side thing. So that's that bridge between myself that I look at internally and externally. Um, so my music, I guess, uh, my artistic um, label, so to speak, is... Um, Really, uh, I guess, reverberating, um, no pun intended, around that bridge. Um, mm. I don't like to be labelled as much. Um, um, I took off my badge from work this week um, and I've got a new badge. Um, hopefully in a couple of years' time it'll be Dr Barry. Mm. Um, so the artistic artistic label, so to speak, is, I guess, um, I guess... The word is um, that I made it up in my uh, my honours. Um, I called it trademptory. Hmm. So trademptory is a new word. Um, it's it's combining like a bridge, two worlds. It's combining the traditional and it's combining the contemporary. 
Mm. So it's half of each of those words. Mm. So it's looking at the value of tradition um, in the moment, in the now. Um, or else we can't adjust, we can't move forward, we just get stuck in a romantic era and time before. Mm. Mm. So that's that's my belief. So how we move forward is my my artistry. Mm. My that's label. interesting that we've got another friend and, and colleague, um, Luca Lesson, uh, and he's he's Greek, uh, Greek-Australian, and his company is called Future Ancients. Mm. And he similarly talks about drawing the knowledge and wisdom from ancient Greece and and how that applies to him as a Greek-Australian making contemporary art in this world. And, and so that name, Future Ancients, kind of made sense in a very similar way to how mm. you just described for your own process. And, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, I guess, because knowing a little bit, and I'm sure we'll get into it as we, as we chat, but, um, you know, there's a lot of aspects of your life that I would say are, if not art creative, there's a lot of creative outlets, whether that be through your music or visual art or um, martial arts mm. or cooking mm. or surfing, like mm. all of those aspects of your life and and uh, there's an element of artistry to mm. all of that, mm. I, I would say. so. That's were a, were you always creative? Like when you think back to your childhood in retrospect, would you, mm. uh, would you ha- frame yourself as a creative kid? It's a really interesting question. Um, I was thinking back um, as a kid, um, I was super bright and I finished grade seven and grade two. Um, wow. Um, and there was no Doogie Howser in those days sort of thing. So my brain was sort of going, oh, I've got this and my body was playing catch up and I had some, I had some really interesting, well, I had, I, I died when I was eight on my eighth birthday, I actually went out of, um, I had a, what they called a drag star. Oh, it was the first drag star from, uh, Melbourne star. Uh-huh. It was like big handlebars, and I went push bike, push bike, three speed T bar auto, big big sissy handlebars, and the big back seat. And I got off my eighth birthday, and Dad said, "Take it for a ride," and went around the corner of the house and down the back of the hill. And um, apparently, next thing you know, the handlebars weren't tightened up, and I did a Superman impersonation through the handlebars, and I came back in the house. And anyway, next thing I know, I'm in uh, Pindara Hospital, um, looking at the family come at me, and. Um, I'm looking at the, at the family, my family, um, next to my bed, but I wasn't looking at it from my body. I was looking at it from like out of my body. Wow, wow. So what did what did and, and, and had you, it actually happen? Was it a head injury or? Ah, uh, yeah, I was uh, knocked out. I lost my memory literally, literally lost my memory. Um, yeah, so lots of things um, shifted in that moment. Um, whether I decided to check out or not obviously i'm still here so i decided to come back and uh-huh. so were you medically dead had they had they kind of gone he's he's gone or, Look, or what, I, what retrospectively did you find out what the were you unconscious or all, or? all i know is um i i don't have any recollection of those times mm. um all i know is i came back in and you know blood come down my face and i don't remember any of that i don't remember going to the hospital i don't remember being there uh, in my body but i was I remember the nurse taking me for a walk and I'm watching me from behind as I'm being taken for a walk physically. So I was, you know, floating in the sky, in the air, in the room, sort of thing. So as, a, as an eight-year-old, what, like, uh, maybe at the time you weren't aware of it, but what, how do you think that that shaped your worldview or your, mm. your perception of reality? Um, it's It's been a solo journey of sorts with that 
that aspect, you know, seeing things that aren't there and knowing things that aren't there. And um, when I, um, I guess, come back to my um, identification and who am I, it wasn't until probably um, I was in my mid-30s that um, when my grandfather passed away um, that we had the had the proof, let's say, um, that mum's um, ancestry is Aboriginal, Gomeroy, from Tinga in northern New South Wales. So before that, it was never spoken, it was never talked about. So there was something inside of me talking of things that aren't tangible, so to speak, mm. that weren't factual. You know, I always used to say, um, um, Dad's from Ireland, Mum's from under a rock. That was my little cliche saying of how to get around you know what what color skin is his mum yeah, i was going to ask that about you know your um and your mother mm. how how that was kind of explained um to other people to to friends mm. family or, mm. or or what publicly you mm. you know did you cop any flack as a as a kid growing up or, or and did you have to kind of mm. hide or justify your identity in a, in a in a different way was there any mm. of that i think Interestingly, growing up on the Gold Coast, everyone generally is like suntanned mm-hmm. and darker skinned than their biological um, nature. Mm. So I always thought that everyone was the same as me. Mm. Um, and I did have um, some Aboriginal um, friends growing up, in, like Billy, uh, Billy Heads Primary School. Mm-hmm. Um, but they weren't like like... They had, you know, both biological parents as being Aboriginal, mm. uh, so very dark skin. Mm. Um, so I, I had an affinity with them, but I didn't fit in with them. Yeah, um, it was like I didn't fit in with the white people. I didn't fit in with the, the black people. Um, so a lot of this, I come back to that solo journey, I guess, of identifying these uh, impressions, these emotions, these feelings, these experiences. Mm. Um, so for you, it was less of a Less of an identity crisis and more of like a ah now that sort of makes sense of a lot of things and the way the way that you was always sort of felt and thought. Yeah, uh, I think you know we talked before Hayden about um, I guess it's a cognition conversation you know about uh, the, the embodiment the sensory perceptions where's the where's the intellectual understanding versus the the true feeling, mm. um, and that's probably been my gift in hindsight looking back. You know, I got I got a chance to look at life outside the box before I was in the box, mm. and now I can see um, both in the box and out of the box, so to speak, uh, from a social structure, the mm. Darwinism conversation. Mm. Mm. I can imagine that that you know, like that's a um, obviously as we get older, we get more interested in our heritage and our background. I think everyone does that. It's a universal thing. You kind of get into your thirties and you start wanting to ask those questions about, mm. I wonder, I wonder where my, for me, I, at least I, I had no interest in my twenties and then something happened in my thirties. I was just, I needed to know mm. not just the story that had been told by my, my folks, but beyond that and, and kind of went down a rabbit hole finding my own kind of, Heritage. So I imagine at that time in your mid thirties to not only have this thirst and hunger to understand who you are and your heritage, and but then to get a massive kind of piece of information like that. That not only mm. it's a part of your your whole existence and your mother's existence that you you had no awareness of, and mm. and and it 
was like a portal that then taps you into the oldest existing continuous existing mm. culture in the world and go fuck i'm mm. part of that culture yeah like, i think if i'd if i'd have had that experience or that um um explanation so to speak as a kid i I may have been a bit nonchalant with it. Mm. Uh, so in hindsight, I was growing up one side with a different way. Uh, and then when it came to me, literally, the information came to me, the experience came to me, the feelings came to me. Um, it was like, it was. It came into a foundation that I'd built and I didn't get um, caught up in it because it can throw a lot of people off. It, you know, very traumatic, I guess. It's very, uh, you know, what the hell's going on? Mm. Like there's a part of me that's been hidden for a long time, but at the same time, and I didn't have the facts of those of that stuff that was hidden. Um, yeah, so coming back to I guess artistic conversation, this has always been these two worlds that we all live in. You know, I always talk about you know um, do people have when they go to sleep do they dream? And, I, and everyone generally says yes. Sometimes nightmares, but I always say, well, can you prove it to me? I says no. So these two worlds exist, you know, the physical world and the non-physical world and, you know, for want of a better reason, uh, re, um, for want of a better name, you know, it's um, spirit, mm. like inspiration, you know, even that terminology, you know, that's what art is, is it's inspiration in spirit, mm. you know, the action of. Mm. Um, were you, prior to, that, prior to that point in your life, were you already on an artist's journey or is that something that started... <clears throat> Was that was there a direct uh, effect of that from that from that moment that kind of set you off to to explore you know these art, artistic endeavors which of which you have yeah many. it's 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 an interesting term um, growing up um, when I hear that word artist it 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 kind of it's um, painting or drawing or or something along that line um, and no. Um, in Miami, at Miami High School, I didn't do art at high school. My uh, teacher got done for drugs, so we didn't have an art teacher in grade eight. Um, <laughs> good old Miami. Miami good old High. That's <laughs> <laughs> a reason why they took the high out of Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, art for me wasn't part of the curriculum, um, so to speak, the Western connotations of that. Um, but I became a chef um, when I left school. And chefing, when I, I didn't recognize it for many years, but, you know, I said I'm going to miss it when I finish up chefing. Um, and mum said, well, you're a chef in a different way with your painting. You know, it's you know it's a 2D, 3D thing. You know, you're painting pictures with your food. Now you're painting pictures with paint. Yeah. And was that the first kind of career part? Was, was chef the first chef thing out of school? Yeah, that was yeah. the first thing you did? Because... Mm. We talk a lot about, um, and on this podcast, one of the sort of things that we do is we, we talk to people from all walks of life, from different career paths and, and talk about the artistry of what they do. And, and we've, we've talked about wanting to chat with a chef about the, mm. the art of, mm. of food and cuisine. Mm. And, and there's a lot of artistry in, in, in the whole process of, of food and, and being a chef, I think. Mm. So, I mean, maybe it sounds like you weren't necessarily conscious of thinking of it that way at the time, but mm. retrospectively, do you kind of look back and go, well, there was an art, artistry to yeah, what I was doing? and I guess what comes to my mind from an Indigenous point of view is <clears throat> before, you know, um, you know, 70 years ago, let's say, most of our art was ephemeral. It wasn't seen, you know, like that mm. in the sand, so to speak, and the wind comes and it's gone. Mm. It's not for posterity. It's not for public 
uh, perception or, or observation. So my art in the food was very ephemeral. Mm. I make it, and next thing you know, it's damn someone's gob. Yeah, um, you know, and it all ends up in the same place. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, we're, and and we've all done we've all done that where we've got an amazing looking dish and gone. I don't want to. I don't want to mm. destroy it. It's mm. too beautiful. But what was your particular like? Did you have a particular style of how you cooked or presented the food? Like, what was your um, Tell us, because I've I've known you for a little while, but I yeah. had no idea that mm. you had this life as a chef. Mm. So I'm really interested to know what what that journey was and what your what your yeah. Look, I was probably was. one of the first non-European or non-international chefs at Sheraton Mirage when I started work there, um, and it was quite here daunting. on the, here on the coast, yeah, yeah, yeah. at um, Main Beach. Um, so it was very. Interesting. It was very you know, in the in the fire. You know, like what's the the ratio of of your talent skill sort of thing. So I learned a lot about that differences, but I also recognise that we've got our own style. And you know, you've seen it in many different cooking shows since. You know, mm. this is nineteen eighty eight. I'm talking about eighty nine. Mm. Um, so I guess my style is um, it's a homage and a. a collaboration between you know traveling in the world and um and seeing all these different styles and taking pieces from everywhere mm. it's not really i think that's sort of you know like you look at australia very um i don't even want to use the word multicultural because multicultural from my understanding doesn't include first nations people it's everyone who's mm. not from here mm-hmm. so it's how to how to describe food that's uh, world world view, I guess. It's a world view. Mm. It's a different way to look at it, which incorporates, includes everybody. Everyone has parity. Mm. So that's where I'm looking at my food. You know? They 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 coin that term in, in cuisine these days of um, modern Australian mm. is, is kind of, I, I hear that banded around a lot, that term for... Um, Eclectic. Yeah, yeah. It, mm. which you kind of go, it's not one specific mm. uh, geographical food. It's It's kind of the best way that they can describe mm. what you're talking about in a way probably is, yeah. is that combination that fusion of of various cultures and influences from everywhere how yeah. did how did you find the kitchen environment because i've worked in um a few kitchens over the years just as a sort of a low level kitchen hand or fry cook and mm-hmm. you know um can be a pretty oh. uh testosterone fueled aggressive environment a lot of chefs have a pretty pretty nasty temper mm-hmm. yeah did you uh did you encounter that as a as a, as a young yeah, chef a and few, how did you um, sort of respond? One of my one of my head chefs he was Scottish. I got a nice little mark on my forehead from a Liverpool kiss. <laughs> wow. I split my head open. Wow! Another another chef he was half French and half Iranian. He didn't know if he was going to throw an f bomb or a pan at you. Wow! So yeah, there's um it's it's look you don't know if four people or forty people or four hundred people going to work walk in your door. Um, so, you know, the anxiety and the, and the, uh, you know, you can't be prepared so much, but, um, it's quite a high pressure environment. It's a high pressure. Yeah. 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 That's why a lot of people turn to drink or drugs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Substance abuse is rife amongst the chefs and cooks Mm. in my experience. Mm. Yeah. And, And it's sort of, um. A, a typical day can be really weird because you can have a really cruisy period but there's not much happening. Mm. It's quite boring and mm. then all of a sudden you have a, a two hours of high intensity, high mm. pressure, almost mm. becomes a contact sport mm. back there. And, um, yeah, it's definitely <clears throat> definitely not for the faint-hearted. 
Yeah. So, um, so how you sort of you, you had your life as a chef, and what sort of you know um, what was your impetus to sort of move on from that and go on to something else? Um, well, I actually um, was walking along one day with a big tray of food in my hands, and I fell over on some ice and slipped up and landed on my tailbone. Uh, so I crushed L5, that's why I'm so paralysed. To this day, I can't feel the outside of my legs. Oh, wow. Um, so that sort of, uh, let's say, put a, a um, brakes on the moving forward. It was hard working in, in, you know, in, that, in that pace, in that pressure. How, how um, just going back to the, that accident or uh, how, how um, yeah, yeah, quote, quote unquote accident, um, how did you, how long were you out? How long were you paralysed for? Um, um, and how long did that? Um, I spent a couple of months. Couldn't move. Um, um, yeah. So I ended up getting. I remember I was in hospital and I woke up one day and I went to get out of bed and the top half of me got out of bed and the bottom half stayed in bed. Oh. I didn't recognise that my legs weren't working. Um, so it took me twelve years to sort of get back onto onto my feet. Literally, didn't work for twelve years. Um, but it, you know, as I say, quote unquote, I was talking before is, um, there was, uh, it was a different pathway for me to go. You know, I was actually on the way to, I just put in a transfer to, uh, Sharon Kauai, um, before, just before this accident, quote unquote happened. Um, when my, when my legs literally got taken out from underneath me and I couldn't, couldn't go, um, and then that month, uh, a tornado took out Kauai, 90% of the island. Uh, so I would have been there, would have been working. It was definitely, yeah. you, know, I, you know, so there's, there was little, and there's been lots of these little hints, which are big hints, um, that have occurred and happened um, to either not make sure I'm not where the stuff is going to go down, happen. You know... <laughs> Yeah. You know, the universe has been quite brutal with you in some ways. Do you ever feel like someone, yeah, if you're trying to give me a sign, mm. you maybe give it to me a bit bit gentler next time? Yeah, you've had a few. You've literally had a getting through. impacted with this. I've never ever thought about that uh, as, 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 you know, a bit, a bit gentler with signs. I think, you know, the old story of what doesn't kill you that makes you stronger. Yeah. I was in living in Nevada in the USA. And um, I was trying to make a decision which way to where where to go to, and um, there was the anniversary of the Roswell Area Fifty One when I was there in two thousand two. Um, there was a big um, powwow, uh, American Indian powwow that was, people were coming come along, come along. Um, there was people from um, Brazil wanted me to come meet them down there. There's people, friends of mine in in. Um, in uh, Anchorage in Alaska, wanted me to come up there. Is this before or after you knew about your own Indigenous uh, After. After, yeah. Yeah, a couple of years after. Um, and so I didn't know which way to go. And I remember sitting at the back of the house and um, I'm very in tune with colour um, and, and and the interpretation of colour, you know, like uh, you said, the, like the traffic lights, the red you stop, the green is go, and you always ask people, what does orange mean? And people, some, some say, go faster, and some people say, slow down. Um, but for me, orange is about the colour decisions, um, which way to go, decisions. Um, the anagram of no, no anger, no rage. 
Um, anyways, I had a glass of orange juice and I spilt it. And I'm going, oh, that's interesting. What's the message there? Um, and so I've got to make a decision. And the, the decision was to go home, come back to Australia. So I came home and um, picked up a friend of mine um, and we packed up my four-wheel drive and I just drove it up the east coast of Australia. And um, next thing you know, I'm at Cape Tribulation. So the day that I flew in from America, instead of because I used to live in Bali, I used to work in Indonesia, <clears throat> and I thought that was going to be a destination of the choices of making a decision which way to go. And I thought, yeah, I could go back to Bali and... Um, um, you know, try to find myself a bit. And that night that I flew into Australia instead of Bali was the night of the Bali bombing. Mm. Oh, God. Wow. Mm. Wow. So, like, literally, again, another intuitive yeah. sign or, or something in, in you that told you that you, this is not where you were meant to not be. Not where to be, yeah. Yeah. And, and you would have been, like directly impacted from what you've told me before. oh yeah i would have been like, at sorry club for sure that night yeah for sure yeah. yeah yeah that's that's crazy mm. i mean I, I often think that in my own life too that the it's 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 hard sometimes sometimes you have awareness of that at the time mm. but often it's not until after and and with retrospect that you can kind of go oh that's why that was meant to happen mm. um I've had I broke my spine at at a young age and it was a pivotal turning point in my life and and at the time it was devastating but in hindsight I was like of course that had to happen of course mm-hmm. that was exactly what needed to happen to change the course of my life in and I wouldn't be where I am now had that not happened so mm-hmm. it's interesting uh, how we how we make sense of those events and at the time what seems devastating or tragic or a disaster um, can actually turn out to be exactly the blessing and the the path that we needed to see, you know. And yeah, and that sort of that sort of um, I guess call it intuition, deep deep listening, you know, on a spiritual level, where you actually where you will see something like knocking over a glass of orange juice mm. as a as something to really take meaning from. Um, it seems like that's something that comes quite naturally to you. I, I think for a lot of people. Um, they don't necessarily it doesn't necessarily come naturally to them and it's maybe something they want to get better at mm. is it something you do you think that people can get better at doing and are there any um any tools or methods that you would pass to pass to people to improve their their connection with, with themselves mm. and that sort of intuition yeah it's been um an interesting conversation i've been having with a lot of people over many years but really lately um, more specifically to the point of, you know, how does intuition work for you? To asking the question to people. Um, so for me, I guess, is um, look at hindsight, 2020, they say. It's always, it's always lived experiences. Nobody can take that away from us. It's always the proof in that. Uh, if we don't acknowledge what's happened, well, we won't acknowledge what's happening. So finding out what's happened and getting an insight into that makes the intuition, like all muscles, you know, they can have trophy. So the intuition muscle needs to be um, worked out. Hmm. I agree. I've thought that a lot because 
I, I personally believe that intuition is is like a sense, like any of our other senses mm. that we have had for ever since, you know, we've climbed down from trees as apes mm. and evolved as humans that we need, we required instincts to, mm. to be able to survive. Um, and there's lots of evidence to suggest that, that through our evolution, we've had to rely heavily on, on intuition and instincts to make decisions in the best interest of mm. our survival. Mm. And, and I think, in a in a in a modern, particularly Western world, that gets kind of pushed to the side as as kind of oogly boogly, or it's it's not tangible, unlike the other senses of of smell or sight or touch. Mm. Um, but yeah, you can't you can't quantify it. And you're right, it's a, a modern Western kind of lens. You're we're always encouraged to be more cerebral, you know. Mm. And and we talk to kids every day who maybe want to be artists, and they're always being pushed to make a smarter decision, yeah, you know, think with, reason. Your, think with your brain, yeah. you're, you're thinking with your heart and not with your head or you're, you're, mm. you're following your emotions like it's a, it's a negative thing yeah. or a weakness. Deficit model. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes, you know, in life, I know for myself, I've, cause I feel like I have a quite strong intuition, um, not in a psychic sense, but just in that feeling of going, I know what's right for me. And often I've made those decisions that that uh, cerebrally make no logical sense. You know, that, that, that's not going to work out very well for me in the immediate sense, but I just feel like that's what I have to do. Mm. Um, yeah. And we, we, I, th- I think we are often discouraged from listening to that. And, and it seems now that it's sort of coming back around in the kind of new age kind of wellness community that there's this almost a reinvigorated interest in, in, mm. In these things that are a bit less quantifiable, mm. like intuition and instinct, and um, yeah, I sort of laugh with it. You know, I, I um, grew up in Byron Bay for a couple of years as a kid, um, and I saw all that. You know, the hippies and all that sort of stuff, and you know, Mum used to dance with the Haris and all that. And um, I, what I wanted to say is, in relation to the new age thing and the old age, you know, and where's the bridge between these? You know, we always we don't say brain. We always say gi dui. Gi dui is heart and soul. So that's our that's our centre, our pivot point. That's our place of, you know, checking in with ourselves. You know, as Gomoroi, um, we have people who say no, um, but we also, uh, gamel means no and array means having. So we are the people who are um, no having. Um, and, and it's a little bit tongue twisting, uh, a little bit backward forwards coming back into the Western um way of perception it's like you know when you see um you know ancient uh, asian people riding from right to left it's it makes the western mind think how can you do that mm. i was gonna say is that is that is, is there a sort of a zen meaning to that no having in in your kind of understanding of it in the in the sense of um there's a lot of zen philosophy that talks about similar similar things of you yeah. know, no possessions or or yeah, I guess you know when you look back at you know when when um, JC, not the original JC, the other JC, James Cook, when he came here um, and found Australia because of lost, and he looked around and he couldn't relate it to what he knew as as civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that you know what you're saying is probably uh, a version of of being um, very spot on. Um, I think. And feel, I guess, in relation to the Zen moment, the 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 reason why we talk about the you know um, the people who say no is everything that's inside us, 
You know, when we look for the answers outside us, it'll be someone else's answer that we're manifesting, we're living, we're we're catching, um, you know, clutching onto some some role model that we think is best for us. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, if we don't look after our own stuff, we'll be looking after someone else's stuff. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that um, I mean the no having that's applied to sort of literal literal possessions and ownership as well. Mm. Yeah, so, and I think that's a actually a more like natural human state of being because another lesson I've learned from watching my uh, my child grow up, she's about to turn two mm. and still has no concept of ownership or possession. Mm. So mm. she recently got a, an early birthday gift from her aunt and uncle and a card. Um, and watching her with that was really fascinating because she was just interested in looking at the card. The card's great. She sat and read that with her with her cousins, but the present she kept giving back to them mm-hmm. and and didn't understand it, uh, that there was something inside that that belonged to her, and you know, and was trying to sort of give it away for someone else to enjoy. And I have mixed feelings about it because we're by doing this, we're actually teaching her that the the right way to see it is that that's for you and not other people and and mm. you own it and it's mm. your thing it belongs to you and and I and I'm watching this kind of conditioning happening which is you know you know quote unquote very normal in our society but mm. yeah I'm a bit at I'm a bit at odds with it you know and I find myself in this this place of conflict with that idea yeah I think we're at a interesting space in time and place in relation to you know, when you say our society, um, uh, there's the me of that society and there's the we of that society. And I feel the West has really embodied the me part of society. And the, when I'm here as a Gomeroy man, and then I become Glenn, who is the Gomeroy man. And I'm not Glenn, who's the Gomeroy man. Hmm. It's not me first and then we. It's we, plural, mm. and then me. Mm. And do you, ex- do you expand that notion of we beyond beyond that definition? Do you, is there a broader we that that you kind of feel as though? Oh, it's micro macro. How far is how long is a piece yeah. of string? Yeah, it's 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 a worldview. Mm. It's uh, it's quantum. It's mm. it's huge. And so bringing it back to bringing it back to your art, mm. um, how does that find its way in? And and you know if you were to speak obviously every artwork you do is going to be different but if you were to speak generally about it mm. how much of this sort of the weed you put in how much of glenn because i oh, think it's always that, two worlds yeah 100 percent. you know and and like i've done pieces and, and i think people look at they sat down in front of my artwork and they're rocking back and forwards and i'm thinking oh, you're going to fall off your off your chair there because mm. they're, they're so into it they can see so much um and i guess that's what i love about art um, especially, I guess, you know, I've gone down a, a, an abstract conversation which gives artistic license. It's not trying to copy um, a photorealistic interpretation. Um, you know, I can do portraits and all that sort of stuff, but, you know, you take photos for that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so just to catch people up if they're not aware that, so since this whole chef chapter, you mm. then got into visual art painting mm. and, and sculpture as well. Well, the art world was, you know, when I, when I paralyzed myself, I had to find something to do again. Um, uh, and the weirdest thing is I thought computers were coming in 97. I think it was computers were coming in. Um, I thought I'll, I'll go down to cool and go to TAFE and, um, 
do a literacy and numeracy class and, and learn about computers. So I joined up and the the ancestors had a different bit of a story for me. So there was a um, a class that I was enrolled in. I didn't recognise it at the time, but I, my first class at Coolangatta TAFE was I walked in a class for, um, full of First Nations people and one of the teachers or the teacher of the of the class was only Joyce Summers. And I'm I'm looking at her and she's looking at me and I'm looking at the room and I'm going, I'm in the wrong place here. Because this is before I found out my own, own Aboriginality, before my grandfather passed over and before he did the family tree and all that stuff. Mm. And she's like, she's seen me and I've seen her and I've started doing a Michael Jackson moonwalk, getting out of there. <laughs> and she's going, hey, 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 what's your, what, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I was supposed to be in a class, I think. She goes, and I'm still going backwards, you know, I'm getting out of there. And she goes, oh, what's your name? I said, oh, it's Glenn. And I'm still going backwards. And I said, what's your last name? And I said, Barry. And then she's going, Barry, eh? And she's like, you could, it looks like a, a refidex, an old um, handwritten refidex of, of notes or business cards that she was racking <laughs> in her brain. You could hear it ticking it over. Well, I could anyway. And um, she goes, oh, you're from Sherberg, are you? And um, I had no idea where Sherberg was at the time. She, where, I said, is, where is Sherberg? Sherberg's up near Kingaroy, Mergen, oh, yeah. about four hours it's north of here. Leah Purcell's from. Right. Yeah, yeah, Sherberg yeah. Sherberg girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Mission Community. Anyway, she said, um, where am I from? I said, um, I, I'm not from Sherberg. Maybe my dad's family, because she looked at my last name as Barry and there's some Aboriginal mob with the last name Barry. Right. Um, a lot of um, Irish um, and Aboriginal people have, you know, joined up, you know, as, uh, I guess, the second-class citizens that we've been for a lot of the society. As, uh, yeah, I'll come back to that because I'm very mm. – there's a lot I've been learning about mm. why that might be mm. and, and there's a lot of, like you say, they were treated in, in very similar ways by mm. – by the British, mm. yeah. My in my, Australia, uh, my so. ex was Irish, and and she said they used to get called the the the, the blacks black. of Europe. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Um, so anyway, I I said, um, um, dad's dad, my dad's Irish. She goes, "What's your mum's last name?" I said, "Murray," and she's just going, "Huh huh," because a lot of you know a lot of our mob, um, Murray. You might have heard uh, Curry or Muddy, hmm. um, Moody, um, but um, that was my, um, well, that's my mum's last name, maiden name. And she, and I, at the time, I was like frozen at the at the Tafe Cool and Gatter, and I'm like, I'm trying to understand all this information. It was like, like the old mono radio, like this information's coming at me for the single channel, and I was I was still. I was frozen. I tried to, my body wanted to get out or my brain wanted to try to get out, but my body was frozen. And um, she recognised that I didn't even have a clue that I, you know, I, I was actually an, an, um, uh, Aboriginal, you know, Gomeroy mm. now. Um, so she told me her story. She's for Auntie Joyce. She said, oh, she was born at Tweed Heads at, uh, on Yugabel Island and uh, her totem's a dolphin. And, uh, and all of a sudden I've had this, like come back to when I was eight years old, was out of body and I just shot up and I'm about, I'm looking down like from a satellite looking at the map of Australia and the words came out of me this is three months before we got the family tree facts 
was no there was no truth no i couldn't prove it at the time but the, the words came out of my mouth um uh, i come from the back of burke you know the old story of burke west of the black stump and um so three months later we find out gomeroy country backs onto you know, back of narrabri which is the last sort of high point before the flats of of, of you know between here and west australia here, between here and south africa really mm. um um so there's some interesting um, intuition um, coming through from ancestors, I guess. Mm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's like she hacked you. She she hit, she did she hack hit, me. She hit the soul button. Yeah, look, she hit the look, soul look button. Is, it's a, a deep recognition. Yeah. What What's your um your own beliefs in terms of just because of your own uh, background and journey and everything in terms of your own um spiritual beliefs i guess um now at this point in your life what do you what do you kind of identify as mm. on that level and and because i know also that you've got a, a martial arts background mm. and you've spent a lot of time in japan and um kind of interesting mix of of all those things and you talk about spirit a lot and mm. intuition a lot mm. and um how does that manifest in terms of your own i guess what we would call spirituality or, or belief sort of system yeah, um, the Japanese, we in martial arts, we talk about Sen. Uh, sen is timing and all these different variations of timing. And as a physical presence or physical um, training of that, there's like the reaction timing, there's the same time, there's the before timing. And then there's two Sens that I've learned in the last 10 years, uh, which is Kino Sen, uh, the timing of the mind, the power of the mind. Uh, but the highest Sen... Um, the most evolved sin is uh, AINOSEN, AI, not artificial intelligence. The intelligence of the heart. Mm. Uh, that's a, the power of love, let's, let, let's say. A lot of people think that's a weak point, you know, that, that's the hippie bullshit stuff. Mm. But it's, you know, um, it's taught me so much. And so what I love about, I guess, the language that we've lost here as First Nations people and the language that I'm, I'm relearning a lot of these philosophies are embedded in uh, Japanese um, language and they're, you know, from way back. Um, some of the language that we use in our martial arts, regular Japanese people don't understand. It's not in the normal vocabulary. It's been taken out. So I'm saying stuff in Japanese to Japanese people and they don't know what I'm talking about. Mm. It's like it's it's uh, it's the old samurai uh, language. Mm. Uh, of Seiki Sen, Center Line, and Chinkon, and uh, also all these different ports of uh, Tundan, and all sorts mm. of different um, words, which are internalized languages, um, can only get from a feeling mm-hmm. um, through partnering, through sharing. Can't do it by itself. Mm. That's that we conversation. So, spirit for me is um, really. Um, nearly taking my eyes out of the equation, being blind on the outside, but still seeing from the inside. Mm. That's probably the the 2022 version from mm. Glenn that I can sort of articulate. Mm. 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 And and how long have you been studying Japanese martial arts? Uh, since I was seven. Wow. Yeah, so about 20 years. Always the Joe. same, uh, <laughs> always the same form, or you? No, no. I started off in karate, um, 
and then got into uh, Kung Fu, and then got into uh, Aikido, mm-hmm. um, and um, now I do Shrinji Kempo, Japanese style. And every time you switch styles, did you have to start? From well, scratch. Well, do, do they all have belts for starters? Uh, um, Aikido has Yeah, they do all have belts, a white belt all the way to a black belt for Aikido. Yep. You don't get a black belt. You, know, you get your grading, but you know, until you show down, you have the white belt. You're still a like, mineral, you apprentice. Mm-hmm. And these, uh, these are sort of fundamental philosophical principles that I guess uh, pertain to sort of like personal inner inner traits or, mm. or qualities or values do you find that they've been quite uh, quite consistent across those different martial arts or, or there's um or, the, or they vary a lot and, and what has sort of led you to to hop from one to the other at different times yeah it's, i think they've all given um different versions at the time that i was going and learning them in relation to my uh, growth um Interestingly, what I found in Aikido, they, they would teach you um, this is where you would punch or this is where you would get kicked, but they wouldn't teach you how to punch or kick. So you never knew mm, that. Mm. It was very blending, but it, you'd never, if someone punched you, you know, we'd have students come in and test us, you know, from Taekwondo mm. or whatever, and they'd, they'd do something and they'd jam you and they'd, they'd be, they'd be it's like paper, scissors, rock. They'd be rock and we'd be, we'd be paper yep. and they would crash. That's sort of the whole idea behind Akita. I've never done it myself, mm. but it's really that art of fighting without fighting. Mm. It's like it's all circular movements mm. and sort of using their own aggression mm. and force uh, back around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Redirection of energy. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and how does your – so does your spiritual belief – how does that manifest um, in a practical sense? Do you have, a, mm. do you have a, a, a daily practice or is your martial arts your kind of – way of practicing your spirituality mm. or or does it permeate every aspect of your life and you yeah. kind of can't separate your yeah. beliefs from uh, we say the martial arts not just in the dojo mm. like what we're doing right here right now it's a form of martial arts it's a we could say in japanese sotai a pair form mm. so i practice it through being mm. um and you know i can be walking down the street and um, I remember being in Las Vegas and, and going, this isn't a good place. Um, and I've had many interesting experiences where um, I've had people with knives or guns come at me um, and then they get near me and something turns off and then they, they divert themselves away from me. It's like I've got a, I don't know. And you haven't had to do or say anything? I've sometimes I've had to. Mm. Some of, sometimes, yeah, I've had uh, a few altercations with... Uh, people that have sort of decided to decide to teach me a lesson mm-hmm. or wanted to teach me a lesson. And then you taught them a lesson. And then I yeah, had to take take um, take um, responsibility for myself and say, I don't want to die here. Um, being knocked out from behind and you know, eating grass and recognising that I had two full-grown 130-kilo men on me and had to, uh, I had to react um, to their uh, attack. Mm. Wow. So spirit said, you know, it's not time to check out yet. Um, keep living. Seems mm. like it's said that a few times in your life to it's you. A f- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, look, that's the interesting thing. On my PhD, everyone says, start with writing your own story. 
And so a lot of these things I've, I've, I'm sharing and, and, mm. and some of the things I don't share, mm. but um, this is a little prompt for me right here, right now, and this is how spirit works, this is how intuition works, is, you know, these stories um, aren't just for me. No, and you're a fascinating, you're a fascinating human being uh, and, and watching how you operate in the world. Like I remember when I bumped into you at Swell recently, mm. we, we hadn't seen each other mm. for a while and I was with a friend of mine mm. and the way you talked to her mm. and like literally brought her to tears mm. in, in a good way mm. by just cutting through the bullshit and sharing it and to this day she i mean she'll listen to this and and be be stoked that we're here having a having a yarn with you because you had a a profound impact on her in a moment mm. through a, a direct kind of interaction with her where you just cut through all that bullshit and you said exactly what she needed to hear at that time mm. it was just, and i was just witness to it just going holy shit it was powerful it was really really powerful mm. and um so I think your the the culmination of all of your life experiences and all of the wisdom that you've learned and acquired and and inherited and and all of that comes through in in almost everything you do, mm. I, I, and that's why I asked that question about separation because I, I know for me that's always been the goal with with mindfulness practice and 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 Zen, Zen Buddhism as well. It's it's there is no separation from the when you sit and meditate, mm. and then when you get up and you prepare the meal or you mm. uh, and the, and right back to monastic living in in the Zen monks they don't separate practice and non practice. Mm. There is no non practice. Mm. It's all just so mm. it's just meditation and then cooking and then sweeping, yeah. folding the clothes. So every if you're in the monastery, the whole experience is that is the practice of mm. being. Uh, living a monastic life and 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 i'm i'm a lay practitioner i'm not a monastic but i try to implement that in my work in my relationships in my conversations in everything that i do and and i think you're a, a great example of that and it comes through in your your art in your teaching and in, in everything yeah yeah you are you i got that immediately when i met you too as a, a powerful person i think you're powerful because you you are one of those people that when you meet you you you, you were looking not at them but in into them <laughs> and you feel yes. that and and i think i guess there's a lot of reasons why why that's the case but you're obviously somebody who you know yourself very well mm -hmm. um and there was something that you would do going back to when we met you and flood um you, you started doing this pre-show thing where you would um, would get all the actors to lay down, was it head in, in a circle mm. on, on the mm. stage floor mm. and you would come over and everybody would close their eyes and you'd play the didge mm. uh, at each individual and go mm. around the circle. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a really uh, something I've, I've never experienced before, but it, it was really powerful and um, something about about it, it's it's as if you were channeling your energy was channeling like love down the down mm. down the barrel and mm. um i know it moved everybody some people moved to tears by it and um and i know that now with you that is sound healing is one of your practices and and a big part of your phd so mm. able to just to speak a bit on on that your journey into sound healing what mm. that is what you do with it and where you think you're sort of heading with that 
Yeah, it's been interesting. Uh, um, the Dij or Yudaki um, really comes from, you know, you can't plug it in. You know, you never have a broken string either. <laughs> but it's it's a it's a sound resonance of a certain level. Like my Dij I've got here is uh, E. Um, and they say E is a magic key. Um, I have other digits, but that sound healing thing really is a, uh, uh, I guess, response to people's frequency. When I play Yudaki or Dig, it's it's like people's story comes in the door wherever I'm doing it, and I respond to that. It's a it's a conversation without words. Mm. Um, mm. So sound healing, uh, I guess, come back to head and heart sort of stuff. Um, intuition, it goes. It doesn't need to be understood to be felt. Music for that does that. You know, you can hear language, uh, um, music in different languages and not understand what they're talking about but have a connection with it. Mm. But I think the, for me the special part of the Adaki is um, the ancientness of it and the, and, the, and the primal instincts that are associated with it um, as, a, as a receptor of it uh, and how one goes into their gi dewey heart and soul from listening to that like it's the earth it's, it's, it's connection to earth and um a lot of people can be um eagles but the eagle's got to come down to the ground sometime you know mm. that aerial perspective um so a lot of western world is very um you know up in the clouds you know um that soprano sort of literally the the digital cloud, the Google the digital cloud, cloud. Uh, you know that metaverse, all that sort of stuff. Mm. It's out of body. It's not embodying. It's out of body. Mm. Uh, I think that the the semantics are really important to yes. articulate. I, I've always found dig ground like incredibly grounding, mm. and um, a lot of people for that reason will. I know I know friends who have who have um, used it during giving birth and pregnancy mm. just to help mm. like anchor and ground the whole experience that, mm. you know, one of the most profound experiences that we all have is, is, is the birthing process and, mm-hmm. and to have an instrument like Dig mm-hmm. kind of supporting that is quite um, just grounds and anchors the whole experience. I, I didn't have that with my own son, but a, a good friend of mine did and said it was both him and his wife was, was saying it was, it was pretty, pretty powerful. Yeah, it's um, so the context for which it can be used for for healing or or ceremonial process of, of uh, in various ways is, mm. and um, yeah, it's a, it's quite a. I agree that the it it's almost like drums in the sense that it's so you don't need anything else to mm. it, and like say you can't break a string, you can't plug mm. it in, and mm. and it's interesting that both drums have been used in indigenous cultures all over the world. Mm as a very primal, you mm-hmm. know, whether you look at African drumming or, or in um, First Nations people in, in North America. Uh, and then Dig is kind of the only other instrument that really has that same level of mm. earth grounded. You don't need anything else. It's, it's, mm. it's completely. I was saying it in a little bit of an interesting way of it being wood and it's from the lungs, you know, like I can plug in, I can, I can do drums and, um, and and it's a physicality of it, mm. but it's not it's not from the inside. There's something mm. a different, a differentiation between like um, it's the breath. It's yeah. the breath. Yeah, yeah. I'm breathing life force through it from yes. me to the person. Yes, which you know, yes. relating to what 
you know, my anecdote about mm. what it was like to experience that during a uh, flood, you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head. That's part of why it felt so powerful. It's probably why it lends itself as the perfect instrument for for sound healing because it's a it's a direct line from you mm-hmm. to the person and do, you, do you use it in the same way in your sound healing and and what sort of um wh- where do you generally practice it what are the main avenues for it um oh, i've got a, a couple of gigs that i play with um called um one gig is um called sacred sound journeys uh with a friend of mine is cherokee uh indian um bobby runny fox um barbara prestia uh, she's soprano um, and Zhang Deng, uh, she's uh, Tibetan. Um, she does all the the, the gongs and the, and the Tibetan bowls. Um, and then uh, I play with Courtney Starchild in a a, a gig we uh, do down at Chugan Hall mm-hmm. um, called Soundscapes, um, where I get a chance to play my dig and um, do some hands-on work on the people uh, while Courtney does her. Um, her sound healing as well mm. yeah so there's 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 two sort of areas that i i've been doing regularly the last couple of years um but i'm looking i guess you know I, i'm recognizing the importance of the dig when i see sort of stuff that i don't bring my dig and i go that's that um flavor for that person and 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 their identity and where they're at that with the dig things for me it's like there's a there's a, a value that it's quantifiable quantifiable value that expands itself hmm. in relation to um, what I feel um, the energy is um, in relation to sound healing and you know it's a it's a funny word I guess sound healing um, I think uh, health and healing are really the same hmm. you know you you'd go to, you'd go to Queensland Health because you're sick so. You want to get healed. You want to get healthy. Mm, mm. So there's, there's some funny um, English words mm. that we use to describe things. Well, yeah. Speaking of words, you know, just when you're talking about the breath and the significance of the breath with the dig in that instrument and that word coming back to what mm. something you said earlier about inspiration, mm. that in I know when I was teaching yoga in Italy, they were saying when you say breathe in, you inspirale. Mm. It's, it's like literally the same word. Mm. The in-breath is the... Mm. is the inspiration mm-hmm. it's like the same mm-hmm. root word of mm-hmm. being inspired mm-hmm. and the breath is the thing that inspires the creation of mm-hmm. the the sound or the art or the healing as the case may be so it was just really interesting tying that back to something you said right at the start about the word inspiration mm. in spirit and yeah. and in spirit and the spirit moving mm. through the mm. instrument through mm. the breath mm. through an inhalation and an exhalation like mm. that's yeah. quite quite interesting and and just hearing you talk about semantics mm. and the words mm. that we choose to use and mm. where yeah. these words come from there's and little, yeah and there's other words that that connect sort of a, action or mo- a motive to to breath as well like uh to conspire mm. which we know mm. as a as a negative connota- connotation to conspire you know but to conspire means mm. to in, breathe in together yeah mm. to um, share breath yeah yeah to share breath and um yeah, it, re- it relates directly to sort of what we do as well. Well, that's what we do so when we make a show. To We're breath. conspiring all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but no conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. But it's something you, you can pick up on even unconsciously. Like often when you're watching a, an actor perform or rehearse, a moment may not be working. And often it does trace back to where the breath is happening. You know, mm. it's, it, it, 
that moment of decision and breath is not mm. happening together and therefore I don't believe the moment, you know. Mm. Um, hey, I know you got a role. Do you want to, um, do you feel inspired to play a bit of Didge to sure. wrap, wrap up the uh, conversation? That, um, Let's do it. Awesome. Do it. Take it away, Glenn. Thanks for uh, joining us on Talking Out Your Arts. Yeah, just before I go, I just want to say Yalu, um, which means uh, we don't have goodbyes. means to catch up next time. Till I smell you, till I feel you, till I see you, till I hear you. Yalu. Yalu. Thanks.